Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 15, and we're recording on Tuesday, December 19th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi! Hey, how are you? I'm good. It's almost Christmas, which is both exciting and relieving because I'm slightly stressed out about the holidays, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's okay. I finished all my shopping. I had like a slight panic attack last weekend because I was like, oh, crap, Christmas is over here and I didn't finish everything. But I finished last weekend. So now I just have to do the little things like wrap all the presents and whatnot before the holidays come around. <laughs> yeah, I'm in exactly the same position. Like a couple weeks ago, one of my coworkers asked me, she said, have you finished all of your Christmas shopping? I went, oh, my God, no. <laughs> um, but thank God for online shopping. It is fantastic, except one of the gifts that I ordered for my parents will not be here until after Christmas, but that's fine, whatever. Um, and yeah, the wrapping is, oh my gosh, I forget how much of an ordeal it is every year because we buy, I buy stuff for my family, we buy stuff for Blaine's family, and he's got uh, a four-year-old nephew who's you know, really into Legos and stuff like that. So yeah. I went through and I wrapped all of the largest gifts last weekend. And I was shocked at how much of my leftover wrapping paper that used up. So that was nice. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I'm also really bad at wrapping presents. So I feel like I end up just going through a lot of wrapping paper because I like either cut it the wrong size so then it doesn't actually fit the thing I'm wrapping or I just like screw something up and I just need to start all over. So I always buy way more wrapping paper than I actually need and I usually or that I think I need and I usually end up using a pretty decent amount of it because I'm just really bad at wrapping <laughs> presents. Like my sisters laugh at me. They're like, this looks like a five-year-old wrap this present and I'm like look guys this is not my skill set <laughs> it's the thought that counts I know for real that's not the point if I had like I've gotten to the point where like all of the adults in my life all of your presents are going in gift bags yeah I only wrap the presents for the children because children enjoy like ripping the presents open obviously so those are the only ones I put effort into no one else gets that <laughs> Yeah, I my my mom taught me when I was, you know, like 10 or 11 how to properly wrap a gift. And I know how to do it. And it, they look they usually look fine. But she like she's got it down to a science like she doesn't necessarily have the big fancy bows or anything like that or any of the fancy wrapping that's my aunt's domain um but my mom like when she wraps a present like it is wrapped and it is it is almost perfect every time so i am not yet to that skill level set but i try um but it's it's it strains my back. <laughs> I have to. We don't have a lot of like you know table space in our apartment, so I'm wrapping stuff on the floor. And holy cow! By the end of it, I'm like you know my feet are asleep, my back hurts. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, thank goodness I like these people. <laughs> so hopefully, if you're listening to well, no, this yeah this will come out before Christmas. So hopefully you will you will have all of your wrapping done and then can enjoy the last few days before the holiday if you celebrate Christmas. So yeah. hopefully we don't have too many strained backs out there from too much strenuous wrapping. <laughs> can you imagine if that was an injury that like went into the hospital? Like how did you hurt yourself? I was I was wrapping Christmas presents and I hurt my back. <laughs> You know, I both my sister and I are kind of the queen of freakish injuries, and so I feel like that would that would happen to one of us. 
It's like, it's like, what happened? And it's like, we have to make up some story about how he had to like fend off this monster with, you know, the, the wrapping knives and the, <laughs> the butter knives that we used to cut the wrapping paper. And, oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, before we turn, before we turn that into a saga in and of itself, um, <laughs> So if you are listening to the podcast, welcome. Um, If this is your first time listening to us, we do not uh, actually typically rehash our wrapping paper mishaps on the show. We talk about mysteries and thrillers and uh, news releases and awesome uh, themed lists and new books that are coming out and movie adaptations and news items and just kind of whatever else floats across our floats across our awareness and we sit down and talk about it and people seem to like it um so if this is your jam then welcome if you have any um any suggestions for you know themed shows that you would like to hear about we've done cozy mysteries um we've done some true crime uh we did a ton of french episode we did an agatha christie episode um, or if you have any news items that came that you thought were really interesting and you want to pass them along to us, please let us know. We love hearing from people and we love hearing new ideas for um, for shows. Um, today we are going to be uh, we're actually going to be talking about our favorite mysteries that we read this year. So most of these, if you've listened to the podcast already, you might have heard us talking about these, but hopefully some of them will be a little bit new. Um, but before we get into that, I'm going to pass it off to you, Rincy, for our first sponsor. All right. Um, our first sponsor for this episode is Imperfect Justice by Kara Putman. To the world, it seems obvious. Kayleen Adams killed her daughter and then was shot by police. Attorney Emile Wesley believes Kayleen would never hurt anyone and was looking for a way out of an abusive relationship. Reed Billings thought he knew his sister. He discovers a letter from Kayleen begging him to fight for custody of her daughters if anything should happen to her and tells him to get help from Emile Wesley. Thrown together in a race to save Kayleen's surviving daughter, Emile and Reed must find out the truth and maybe a future together in the process. Uh, So this is a fast-paced novel that holds a double mystery. Is Kayleen's daughter still alive? And is this a cover-up? The story takes on tough topics such as abusive relationships, so trigger warning for that. Um, And it also discusses uh, some extremes that women will take to get themselves and their children out of harm's way. Um, There is also a budding romance that springs up amid unusual and tense circumstances, proving that fate can truly bring two people together. Uh, So if you are interested in this book, that is Imperfect Justice by Kara Putman. And thanks so much to them for sponsoring this episode. Awesome. All right. Well, I am going to kick off our favorite books of our favorite mysteries, I should say, of 2017. Um, I I know I talked about this book on a on a previous episode, but this really ended up being not only one of my favorite mysteries of the year, but just one of my favorite books of the year in terms of sheer entertainment value. Um, so that book is Final Girls by Riley Sager. That came out over the summer, um, sometime in July, yeah, middle of July. And the title, Final Girls, refers to the trope from 
kind of the 80s slasher movies, um, if, if you watch a bunch of those, if you're like me and seen a bunch of the old slasher movies, um, the final girl was you know, obviously the, the last girl left alive at the, at the end of the movie. And if you look at slasher movies as kind of a, um, as kind of a morality tale, um, the idea that the final girl left alive is the virtuous one. Um, she's the one who didn't do drugs. She didn't have sex. You know, she that that type of that type of thing, which is a whole discussion in and of itself. Um, but that's that's essentially what the what the title is referring to, because um, the the main character in the book is Quincy, and uh, ten years previously she was a college student. She went on vacation with her friends um, to a cabin in the middle of the woods, which again, knowing that we're talking talking about horror kind of horror movies and horror themes this is not a good idea um she is ultimately the she her friends are attacked by a by someone while they're in the woods and she is the only one left alive she's um she's a final girl and there are two other uh women who have you know, been in similar types of attacks, not necessarily related, um, but they've been in previous attacks where multiple people around them were killed and they were the ones left alive. Um, and so there's two other girls. There's Lisa and then there's Sam and then there's Quincy and the media has kind of dubbed them the, has dubbed them the final girls. And Quincy is trying to kind of put this behind her. She's trying to move on with her life. Um, she has a, a fiance and a baking blog. And then, and you know, she thinks she's getting her, her life together um, until she hears that Lisa, who is the quote unquote first final girl of the trio, um, she is found dead in her, in her house. It, it seems to be a suicide, but there are, there are, there's stuff to make to make people question what really happened, and then as uh, soon after Lisa uh, apparently kills herself, Sam, the second final girl, shows up mysteriously on Quincy's doorstep after not being seen in the public for years, and so Quincy's life is all of a sudden turned upside down. But uh, Sam's appearance makes her kind of kind of forces her to. Re go through and kind of relive and re-examine the events that happened to her 10 years previously and ultimately ha ask herself, you know, did, you know, Quincy has this memory of what happened. She, you know, one of the people who was, uh, the, the killer was apparently killed during Quincy's ordeal, but then she has to ask herself, you know, is that really what happened? Um, so it's it's psychological suspense blended with horror, and every person who has read this book, and I, I had heard this before I started it, and I'm passing this advice along to you. If you have not yet read this book and you're interested in picking it up, make sure you have a block of time because once you start this book, you're not going to want to put it down. Like, 10 pages into it. I, I remember starting it at like 11 o'clock at night on a work night and I got 10 pages in. And I went, oh my gosh, this was such a bad idea <laughs> because I mean, it was creepy, but I just, I just, the thought of realizing that I had to go to bed just killed me. I wanted to just stay up and keep reading it. I think I read it in like two or three sittings and I think I ended up finishing it over a weekend. Um, but every person who I've talked to who's read it, they've said as soon as they opened it, they just blew through it. 
Um, the characters are really interesting. You've got this back and forth narrative of the past and the present, and you see how the strands kind of come together at the end. Um, like all like all psychological suspense novels, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of twists. These actually, I consider myself kind of a seasoned veteran of psychological suspense novels, and this one really genuinely managed to surprise me. Like I thoroughly enjoyed myself up until the very end. It's it is just a wild ride of a book. Like if you can if you can equate reading a book to like being on a being on a roller coaster and knowing that like you're strapped in and you won't be able to get off until until it until the ride is over that's what that feels like breakneck speed it's just it's so good um so if if uh you you uh, kind of tend towards the darker side of mysteries or want something you know if you're looking to maybe try to read horror but not you know full-on horror and just want kind of a taste of it final girls by riley sager is fantastic and yeah hands down one of my favorite books of the year yeah, I definitely second a lot of that as well as the make sure you have a chunk of time because I definitely made the same mistake, even though you had mentioned it prior to me reading this book. I still made the mistake. Well, I mean, there was no way I was going to finish it in one day. And so when I started it, I did give myself a decent amount of time. But then I was just like, oh, man, I really wish I didn't have to sleep. <laughs> All right. So the first book that I am going to talk about is a nonfiction book, and it is American Fire. Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land by Monica Hess. Uh, this came out, I believe, in July as well. And this book focuses on a small town in rural Virginia. Monica Hess is actually a Washington Post reporter, and she found out that there were like a bunch of arsons happening in this small town, like an extraordinary amount of them. Um, because there were a bunch of abandoned buildings in this area, and they in the middle of the night, they would just go up in flames. And so the firefighters in the area were knew that these were arsons, but no one really knew like who was doing them or why they were even doing them because it didn't seem like they were like trying to attack people or anything like that. Uh, these were completely abandoned buildings. So in this book, um, you get to follow the people who live in this small town. Um, it's so small that there isn't even like a real fire department. And it's like completely volunteer firefighters. Uh, so part of it is about these firefighters as they are being woken up every single night to put out these fires. You know, they're volunteers, so they have like day jobs and all of these different things that they have to deal with. And then every night they're being forced awake um, to put out these fires. They're always like major, major fires. So it takes like an entire crew of people. Sometimes they would have to call in reinforcements from other counties nearby although they aren't really that nearby because again it's rural Virginia um, but this isn't like a typical true crime book in the sense of like you're not trying to solve a mystery because in the book they reveal pretty early on who is doing this crime and why they're doing it and it's this couple actually um, and so you get to see sort of their relationship and the problematic and volatile things that are happening in or in their life and around their life. Um, and you get to see basically how they started doing this, why they started doing this. Uh, part of the reason why I think I like this so much is because it feels also like a sociological almost type of nonfiction book where you're studying this small town and you're studying these people and you're trying to figure out like what would lead people to start setting 
houses on fire in the middle of this small town. Um, it's also sort of like a look at rural America today. Um, this was a town that was at one point an extremely um uh, like rich and like full of industry sort of place. And like lately as, you know, the economy crashes as, you know, tourism sort of changes, things like that. Um, this town is suffering a little bit more. And so you see how that also leads to situations like this. Um, so American fire really looks at this specific set of crimes and, like the people behind them, but it also looks at how these crimes affect this town and how these crimes can uh, come to be in the United States and also just how it's like a reflection of things that are happening in the United States. Like obviously there aren't strings of fires happening all around the United States, but you know, there are a lot of rural towns throughout um, the country that are dealing with sort of the fall of their economies and people struggling to either make ends meet or find opportunities and find ways in order to, you know, even occupy their time to stop stuff like this from happening. Um, it's really, really fascinating. It's really interesting. It's a relatively short book. I think it's like less than 300 pages. Um, but I found it to be completely gripping, despite the fact that like, you know, who's doing it. Um, it's really interesting to see like why they're doing it. And it's really interesting to see sort of how it all resolves eventually. Because for a significant portion of the book, you just see them uh, doing all of these fires and it's not really clear like how or why they end up stopping. Um, and you, it's really interesting because uh, Monica Hess goes back and forth between the two perspectives of like the firefighters and then of the couple. So you get to see like the firefighters trying to solve the mystery and how close they may or may not have been at different points in the investigation. Um, but yeah, it's just really, really fascinating. I think that if you are someone who likes true crime in general and is more interested in like the why behind the true crime, I think that this is really, really well done. But I think that even if you're not someone who typically reads a lot of true crime, um, this might be a really good one to pick up because it doesn't. I think sometimes true crime can get really bogged down in like the details and laws and things like that, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like I enjoy that as well. But I think that the fact that Monica has focuses on this whole town and focuses on different people in the town. And also there is a slight uh, thrilling aspect to it in terms of like, how is this all going to resolve? I thought it was really interesting. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of a really great look into rural America and these arsons that were happening. And it's just crazy that this was like a real thing that actually happened in the United States and relatively recently. Yeah, I really loved American Fire. I actually listened to it on audiobook. So if you're looking for a really good audio listen, um, this one was really compelling. Like I would listen to it on my commutes. And sometimes I find myself kind of zoning out if I listen to nonfiction on audio, which is sometimes the reasons why reason why I do it. Because if I don't pay attention to the whole thing, it doesn't, I'm not going to lose some major part of the plot. Um, but I was just totally enthralled by the by this story. Um, yeah, it goes really fast. It's just fascinating is the best word I can use to describe it. So yeah, if if American Fire was awesome. Like, I know, Rincey, last week when we were talking about which books we wanted to talk about, both you and I were like, yeah, we got to put this on there. All right, who gets to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so for my next pick, I'm going to continue with the uh, with a nonfiction theme. Um, 
this book, it's actually, it's more of, it's a true crime memoir mashup. Um, it's The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. Um, a trigger warning for this book um, for uh, child abuse and sexual abuse. Um, this is a very, very gripping um, and difficult read, but a really, you know, a really rewarding read. It's just Oh my gosh. Um, it, uh, the, so the author, Alexandria, um, kind of the premise of it is that she, uh, she begins a summer job at a law firm in Louisiana and this law firm helps to defend men who are accused of murder. And she, she grew up with lawyers. She, at the time she believes that she is completely against the death penalty, um, and that everyone, even uh, men who, or people who may have murdered someone, you know, they don't deserve the death penalty. Um, but while she's reviewing old files, she comes across the case of Ricky Langley, who is uh, who was tried and well, I don't remember if he was convicted when she came across the files. I believe she was, or I believe he was, um, but he was convicted of. Uh, raping and murdering a young child. And when she reads about the details of this case, she is overcome with a feeling of this person deserves to die. And she's, you know, she's shocked by her reaction, you know, considering that she always believed herself to be completely, you know, staunchly anti-death penalty. Um, so she digs into the case and she starts to realize as she learns more about his situation that there are very, very unsettling parallels between the experiences that she had in her own life, um, which, I mean, no, no, one, no one in her family was convicted of murdering someone, but the other aspect of his crimes were striking, you know, some really horrible bells in, in her mind. And so this book kind of details her her exploration of Ricky's crimes. Um, so half half of the book is um, kind of devoted to recreating the events that led up to and then following the murder of this child, um, but also kind of imagining the life of a person who is ultimately driven to commit these horrible acts. And then the other half is Alexandria um, examining her childhood and the exp and the horrible and the trauma that she went through at the hands of a family member. Um, it it's really it's this incredibly lyrically written book. The writing is just exquisite. Um, and it's it's not just about the crime, but it's also about how we deal with our own personal histories and learning how to how to forgive if forgiveness is possible. Um, and it kind of looks at, you know, okay, what is, you know, we see a situation or we experience something, but how do we know what the truth is? And so she has all of these issues going on in this book, which, again, if we're talking about books that are not terribly long, um, it's just over 300 pages. Like, it's not a long book, but there is so much in here. It's one of those books, I, when I read it, I did not 
like I'm a I am a very emotional reader and depending on the book I can like cry at the drop of a hat um but this this book didn't make me feel like I wanted to cry but I felt like I had been hit over the head with a sack of bricks like I finished it and I was I just kind of sat there stunned for a few minutes um and this this book is like I said it is a difficult read um but it is but like I said it is a very rewarding one it's beautiful yeah beautifully written absolutely beautifully written um and it is probably one of the most thought-provoking books I've read this year um so again that book is The Fact of a Body A Murder and a Memoir by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich yeah that's another one that I've also read and yeah there's it's Probably, I agree that it was probably the most difficult book that I read, and but it's completely worth reading. <clears throat> um, unless you have like major, um, or you have like issues reading about abuse, like uh, Katie mentioned at the top, like it's worth the difficulties because the things that she explores, I think, really just make you think and make you, um, sort of even question your own beliefs about whether or not you're pro or against the death penalty um i think it really makes you think about like when almost like when you're sinned against how far are you willing to um go before you're willing to forgive someone and things like that and how much do people deserve and how much is based on you know their own fault versus the fault of the things that had happened to them in their past and things like that it's it's really really great well put together book all right. So the next book that I'm going to talk about is significantly more lighthearted. So <laughs> after that one, I think we kind of need that. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. This was probably like the biggest surprise for me in terms of my reading this year. Um, I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere for me personally. I just all of a sudden a bunch of people were talking about Magpie Murders and how it was the closest thing anyone had read to an Agatha Christie book. And if you are going to make that claim, uh, you better live up to it. And surprisingly, this book really does. It is an homage to the golden like detective era or golden era of crime uh, books. And Anthony Horowitz just does a fantastic job of like playing homage to paying homage to this uh, genre of mysteries while creating a mystery that's still extremely suspenseful in this day and age. Like even if you're someone who has read a bunch of these types of detective books, I feel like this book is still such a surprise. And I think one of the best things about this book, too, is that it's basically two mysteries in one book. Um so in this story, you are following this book editor named Susan Ryland. Uh, she is given the manuscript of Alan Conway's latest novel. So Alan Conway is the best-selling mystery novelist in this world. Um, and he has created this detective named like Atticus Pund, who is basically like a Perot-type detective and so she has like the latest manuscript from him um for the next book and i think it's supposed to be like the last book in the series series or something like that um so you start off in susan's perspective and then you jump into this atticus pun story and so you get like a full story as if you're reading this atticus pun book but then suddenly it stops before the ending uh com concludes and so susan ryland is slightly confused and wondering like what exactly happened uh did she only like get part of the manuscript but as she starts to look into it it 
turns out that there's actually another mystery that might actually be connected to all of the things that are written in this mystery story. So then you are in the, you know, Susan Ryland, that world and trying to solve that mystery. And again, it's just really, really well done. It's very smart how the two stories connect, but also don't connect. Um, It's very interesting because like, Again, the Atticus Pun story feels so much like um, a Golden Age series. And then when you're in the Susan Ryland world, it feels like a contemporary mystery. And balancing those two styles is really complicated, in my opinion. Like, I wouldn't expect um, someone who writes mysteries to be able to do both of those so well. Like, you would think one of the mysteries would be weaker than the other, or, you know, the writing style would be weaker on one side or the other, but they're both really really strong mysteries and it's I think that is just a great treat to see um I think that the way everything ends is really really surprising for both mysteries uh I think that it's a great um it's really fun for people who read a lot of mystery books to read a book like this because there are a lot of like winks and nods and just again, a really great play on the genre without like making fun of it or anything like that. Like you can tell Anthony Horowitz is a fan of the mystery genre and of the great um, or golden age detective mysteries and things like that, because he does such a good job of emulating that in his own book. Um, So yeah, I highly recommend picking up this book, especially if you are someone who loves Agatha Christie books, or even like, if you haven't read an Agatha Christie in a really long time, um, I think that this one would sort of revive that love for you again. Um, And even if you're not, if you just like straightforward detective stories, I think that this is a really fun one. Like a lot of times it's hard to find slightly more lighthearted or slightly more fun mystery books that also still keep the suspense going. Like a lot of times with cozies, like you're going into it because you want the coziness. Um, But I think that this one balances the sort of darker side of mysteries while also keeping it fun and lighthearted and, uh, but keeping you like engaged as a reader. Uh, So again, that's Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. Second, everything that you said, that was a, that was one of my surprise some one of my surprises for the year as well I picked it up because I had heard so many people talking about it um if you're looking like if you're looking to get a get a book gift for someone and you're not sure what to give them this would be a fantastic recommendation for like just about anyone unless you know that the person like really does not like mysteries um but it's yeah, I mean, it is, it's just a really, really fantastic balance, like, exactly like you said, Rincy. Um And it's just, it's just, a, just a great puzzle to put together. And I had so much fun reading it. And I, you know, I usually go for, you know, the darker, more psychological suspense type of stuff when it comes to mysteries and suspense, but I just loved the heck out of this book. Um so, yeah, definitely if you haven't read Magpie Murders, that is a fun one. Um, so um, so the final book that I'm going to pick, at least for my favorites of books that were, part, that were published in 2017, um, I have already uh, Muppet-armed about on this podcast and on Twitter and like everywhere else, um, but that is The Dry by Jane Harper, uh, which came out at the, like, at the beginning of the year. And I picked it up in May um, when 
Uh, I went to Madison and uh, visited their uh, their mystery bookstore, which I know you visited too, Rinsey. Um, yeah, great yes, bookstore. Yes, so great. Um, but picked up a copy of The Dry. And the reason I had, you know, I had heard about it, but the little shelf talker there um, said that whoever had written the, the little shelf talker said that it was great for fans of Tana French. And again, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, Rinsey and I are all about Tana French. So I said, okay, well, yoink, I'm grabbing that one. Um, and I, it took me a few months to get around to it, but I finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to read this one. This is another one that, I mean, it starts off a little slowly. Like I had to, I think I had to put it down like early on in the beginning because I got sidetracked by something else. And then I had to kind of pick it up and remind myself where I, where I'd left off. Um, But once it gets going, this is a book that you're going to need to like, like, so like someone could have a crowbar and they could not pry this book out of your hands. Um, It takes place in Australia. Um, and so you, and it's called the dry and holy cow, you can, you can feel the dry when you are reading this book. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's dry and hot and like everything is in danger of being set on fire and you just, you just really feel the setting. Um, but the main character in the book is Aaron Falk, who is a federal agent and he grew up in this smaller town and then moved to either Sydney or Melbourne it's one of one of the one of the two big cities in Australia um and he's so he's living his life and he gets a note um saying uh informing him that one of his childhood best friends Luke um has been brutally murdered and he gets a note from Luke's father saying I know you lied be at the funeral and so Aaron's Aaron, well, you can't really ignore a note like that. So he goes to the funeral and he finds and he talks to Luke's father and uh, Luke's father tells Aaron that he says, um, he says, I know that you guys lied about where you were when you were kids and one of their mutual friends was killed. And he's like, I don't know why you lied. I don't know where you actually were, but I know you lied. And he's basically, he does not believe that, because in the, well, in the story, I said Luke was murdered. The police believe that Luke murdered his family and then and then shot himself. Luke's father says, I don't believe that he would have done that. I want you as a as a federal agent to investigate this because you also have connections to this crime. So against his, uh, I don't want to necessarily want to say better judgment, but Aaron's not really, you know, he's not really particularly enthused about hanging around in his hometown and finding out what actually happened, but he does because he knows that, um, he knows that both of their alibis for this crime from 20 years ago is in suspicion. And so he needs to find out what exactly happened. So... Obviously, I'm not going to tell you what happened because that's the fun of it. Um, but this, when I when I finished like the last 200 pages in a single sitting, um, stayed up past my bedtime, and this was one of those books like when I finished it, I wanted to run around and hit everyone over the head with the book until they read it. Like that's that's my mark of a good book. If it makes me want to like hit someone until they say okay, I'll read it. Like that's that's how I know it's a good book. Um, 
And I was really, really struck at how good of a read-alike this was for, for Tana French's novels. Um, I know a lot of people talk about Tana French's writing style. The writing style isn't necessarily the... the, the uh, I didn't exactly make the connection with the, with the specific writing styles, but you look at the the very strong setting, the very flawed characters who have secrets from their childhood, the way the mystery goes back and forth between the current investigation and flashbacks to when they were teenagers and the events leading up to um, leading up to the murder of their mutual best friend from when from when they were uh, when they were in high school, it it just it had that ton of French feel to it, and it was just such a clever, you know, it was a really it was a really smart mystery that um, that I think again had a had a great surprise in it. And I feel like it really played fair with the reader. Like, it wasn't one of those books where, you know, the character just all of a sudden has a major revelation, um, you know, out of nowhere that happens to help them solve the crime. Or they introduce a character, like, at the very end that is able to, that either, you know, they're they're the culprit or they're able to explain everything. Like, it really, it plays fair by the reader. It's um, it's a dark mystery, but there's, but there's also a lot of just really compassionate human characters in the book. It's just fantastic. Um, and her second book in the series is going to be coming out early in 2018. And I am so excited because everyone has said that it is just as good, if not better than The Dry. And I am so excited to read the read it read the second one in the series. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for a new one to a new series to start, if you're looking for a ton of French read alike, if anything like this sounds like sounds like it might be up your alley, I cannot recommend the dry enough. Um, I do. However, I do suggest um, or I do not suggest doing what I did when the author mentions uh, like when she's describing something and she mentions spiders that the main character sees. Don't Google them. I did. I did. Oh, and no. It was a really bad idea. So don't do it. Um, so yeah, don't don't take my advice on that. But do read the book. It's fantastic. Um, and again, that is The Dry by Jane Harper. I will say this is like the one mystery that I did not get to this year. But I literally like as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I might need to read this like in January, <laughs> like January 1st. As soon as I'm done, I need to read this book. And because that sounds amazing. And I'm very sad that I didn't get around to this one. Yeah, well, I was gonna say your next book, I haven't gotten around to yet either. So that's also very, very high up on my list. We, I like that we did this. I, we didn't plan it like this, but it, we like read all the same books except for our number one choices, which is kind of like a nice parallel here. <laughs> All right. So my uh, final pick for this episode is Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. And if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I am a huge Attica Locke fan. Um, her favorite book prior to this one was The Cutting Season. And I love that one because uh, she creates such a great atmosphere in her books. That one is set in New Orleans and New Orleans is definitely a strong character and a strong part of that story. Um, but I'm here to talk about Bluebird, Bluebird, which was her latest release. It just came out in September. Um, I read it the day it came out and was completely hooked from page one. 
Uh, so this a story takes place in East Texas, and you are following this Texas Ranger, a black Texas Ranger named Darren Matthews. Um, he grew up in rural Texas, and he ended up leaving the state. I think he ends up like moving to Chicago or something like that um, for a while, but then some like expectations and family stuff ends up forcing him to come back to Texas. Um, so then he becomes a Texas Ranger. And so when you start off the story, uh, you see him basically uh, being a witness at a trial for a case that he worked on. And you see from the very beginning that Darren Matthews is an extremely flawed character. So from the beginning, you know that he has like a drinking problem. And so Attica Locke from the beginning sort starts planting these seeds of like he is not necessarily the sort of detective that you are going to be rooting for 100% of the time. Um, so after he's done with this case, he's technically supposed to like be off duty, like he's not supposed to be working. I think he's technically suspended for a specific period of time uh, because of some incidents that occurred uh, that you find out about uh, over the course of this book. But then he finds out that there are these two murders that take place in this tiny town in Texas. Um, one of them was a black lawyer from Chicago and one of them was a local white woman. And so these two murders have sort of stirred up this small town and obviously there's a lot of like racial tension that's happening here because it was a black lawyer and a white woman um, and it wasn't until the white woman was killed that it seems like the police really started paying attention to or the local law enforcement really started paying attention to um, the crimes that had occurred so Darren Matthews ends up driving to this small town he doesn't tell anyone that he's a Texas Ranger he kind of goes there slightly undercover to try to see if he can figure out what exactly is going on there. Um, this book is very much like um, a noir type book. So if you like that style of mystery, you should definitely pick this one up. Uh, the entire time you can feel the tension and you can feel just the pressure that Attica Locke writes into this story because there is so much racial tension in this town. Um, and it seems like every character that you come across is morally gray. So you're never really sure what exactly is true and what exactly isn't or who you can trust or who you can't, including the main character of Darren, which I found to be so, so interesting. Um, the way that the mystery resolves, it takes a very interesting turn. Um, but I will just say that you're going to want to read to the very last page because there's a whole lot of plot that ends up happening in the last like 20 pages of the book. Um, so yeah, it's a completely gripping novel. I didn't want to put it down. Attica Locke is a master writer and this one has actually been optioned to become a television show. I believe we talked about this in our just our last episode. Uh, so you can go and listen to that if you want to find out more information about that. But you should definitely pick up this book so that way you can read all about it before it gets fully adapted. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't read Attica Lock yet, this is definitely a great place to start. It The way that the book is written, it could potentially become a series. And I really hope that it does because, again, Darren Matthews is a really morally great character which I think makes him a really interesting character to follow and just seeing the way that everything 
sort of goes down in this book. I think it would be really great to continue to explore this world and this character. So hopefully if Attica Locke is listening, which I highly doubt that she is, but (laughs) if she continued on with these characters, then I would 100% be in for more of it. It's so, so well done. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And again, that's Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Um, Locke. Yeah, like I said, I have not yet read this one, but... um I did. I do have just a very short, exciting Attica Lock story. Yesterday, I on Twitter, I was going through and I did my own little uh, thread of books that I rated as four or five stars that I read this year, and I tried to tag as many authors in the posts as I could. And this morning, I saw that she had retweeted my my little tweet about the cutting season and why I loved it so much. That was my first Attica Lock book that I had read and in all cla- in all caps she's like oh my gosh thank you for letting me wake up to this tweet this morning and I was just like oh my god Attica Locke retweeted me <laughs> so I was I was just so I, I I had a little moment of like ah oh my gosh this is so cool um so uh long story short um if you really like a book tweet at the author and tell them because they really like it like, I've gotten so many responses it's from my true. thread that I was just doing just because I thought it was fun. Um, but the author, like, the authors really appreciate it. So do that. Um, so um, so we also decided, since we didn't just read Mysteries that came out in 2017, we also uh, decided to each pick a backlist bump um, for a mystery novel that we read this year that we really liked but was not published this year. So the book I read, um, which is... Uh, which would get some kind of award for one of the big, one of my biggest surprises of books that I really enjoyed this year, and that's *The Big Over Easy* by Jasper Ford, which is a fantasy mystery mashup. Um, so the the main premise it's part of the nursery crime series. It takes place basically in nursery rhyme world. Um, the uh, the main police character is Detective Inspector Jack Spratt and his assistant Mary Mary, and they are in they are investigating the death of Humpty Dumpty, or as his full name, Humpty Stuyvesant Van Dumpty the Third. Um, so he's found fallen off a wall and shattered to death, and they believe that there's foul play involved. Uh, that someone pushed him off the wall. And so as they go through their investigation, they find themselves grappling with this plot involving money laundering and asylum seekers and and all of these these fantastical nursery rhyme characters in like a legitimate murder organized crime plot story with, you know, real police, you know, back, you know, backroom politics and stuff like that, except it's all in nursery, nursery rhyme world setting. Um, I don't, I actually read this book, um, for a, uh, I was doing a genre study with a group of other librarians on speculative fiction, and we were talking about, um, fantasy, I think. I, one of the authors that we had to read was Jasper Ford. Um, so I pay, I ended up picking this book. I loved it. it. I was, I like I said, I don't always go for fantasy. And the premise just seemed so ridiculous that I was like, 
I, I'm either going to love it or I'm going to hate it. And I loved it. It was, it has the feel of, you know, a real mystery, a real crime, but they're investigating who pushed Humpty Dumpty off the wall. And there's so much clever wordplay in here. If you are a fan of bad puns, well, actually, I take that back because I am not a fan of bad puns. I'm a fan of good puns, but I find those very hard to come by. Um, and I, the wordplay is so clever. You've got little winks and nods to uh, to nursery classic nursery rhymes and other, uh, you know. Uh, references to literature and it's just is so clever and it's it was just a blast to read it you know I my you know my fiance is he's the king of terrible puns and I, I I finished reading it and I said you have to read this I said there's just he loves wordplay and I'm like you you can't not read this read this book um so it's it's out there um, but if you're if you want if you're looking for you know a mystery but you want to kind of step outside the traditional mystery frame um, or you know the typical mystery conventions, um, Jasper Ford is fantastic. There's more books in um, the nursery crime series. Um, he also has um, the Thursday Next series, which I believe is also a mystery of sorts. But that that's more like uh, more liter literature and literary based. Um, than nursery rhymes, but um, but yeah. So again, this was the big over easy by Jasper Ford. Yeah, I think I read um, from him the air. Yeah, that's the Thursday next series. Yeah. So it, again, he, they're all just really fun. If you just enjoy like literary references and things like that, like he is very very smart and is very good at just playing on all of those sort of general literary knowledge that we have. It's really great. <clears throat> all right, so my pick for a backlist book, um, I'm going with IQ by Joe Ede, which we have talked about a couple of times, I believe, on this uh, show in previous episodes. But it was just such a fun, delightful interesting read um you are following this guy named iq and iq is basically like sherlock holmes if sherlock holmes lived in like the poor parts of los angeles um he is a loner he's a high school dropout um he seems like relatively unassuming in nature but he's just really fiercely smart extremely observant um and so he ends up like I think he drops out of high school and to be able to like pay the bills and whatnot he starts basically solving these small crimes for different people in his neighborhood and he like you know charges the clients whatever that they can afford or like he does you know he'll take whatever gifts they can offer and things like that um, in order to pay for it um, and so he ends up getting this case from a rap mogul who believes his life is in danger um, and he like investigates sort of the crew of people that are around him and the people from his past and who might be out to get him. Um, there's also a separate mystery that's sort of like an overarching mystery that I think is going to go through the series about um, Isaiah or IQ's brother who passed away a couple of years ago. And so honestly, the mystery itself I enjoyed, but it wasn't like my favorite mystery ever. But what made me really enjoy this book is IQ and his partner Dobbs Dodson. Um, they have just a really fantastic 
I don't want to say friendship. It's probably just call it a partnership because when the story first starts off, they're not really friends. Um, they just sort of start working together because Dadson brings him this case uh, to solve. And so Dadson just like goes along with IQ whenever he's doing anything. And it's just really, really funny because like IQ has like this level of contempt for Dadson and doesn't want to be like doing this but Dadson seems like completely either he's completely oblivious to it or he just doesn't care and just goes along with it anyways and by the end of the story like you can tell they're kind of moving into that friendship territory and it's just a really fun relationship and I think that if you're someone who reads mystery books that or if you like to read mystery books that have like really interesting um detectives behind the mystery then i think that this is a really great one to pick up um and the second book in the series i don't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now um already came out this year um which i haven't picked oh it's righteous it came that's the second book in the series it came out this year i haven't picked it up yet but it's definitely on my list of books to pick up and i believe there's a third one coming out next year but i could be wrong about that um but yeah again that's i Q by Joe Ide. It's kind of like a book ride favorite now. A bunch of us have read it and have been like telling each other to pick it up. So again, if you like detective books, if you like not it, this isn't like a direct Sherlock Holmes read alike, but if you like that style of fiercely intelligent, uh not great people skills sort of detective, then I think that you might like IQ by Joe Ide. Yeah, that's another one that I uh, read this year that I really liked. Really, really gritty and just really interesting. Um, so uh, time, well, actually, this is actually the perfect segue into our second sponsor, um, which is us, Book Riot, and Book Riot's Top 20 Giveaway. So uh, we're giving away Book Riot's Top 20 Books of 2017. So you've probably already seen our roundup of the best books of the year, and Book Riot is giving away the 20 books that got the most votes from uh, Book Riot contributors and editors. We had uh, this internal nomination system where we each selected, like, we each picked our own, like, five favorite books that we read uh, in t- that were published in 2017. And then, so, and then Book Riot went through and picked the books, the 20 books that got the most votes. And they're giving away a big stack of them for one lucky winner. So um, this, I've... The we'll have a link to the full list in the show notes, but just to give you an idea of the type of the books that are in there, um, from books that we actually have directly mentioned on the show today, um, they're giving away a copy of Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke, a copy of uh, The Fact of a Body. Um, but other than that, there's a huge range of titles. There's The Hate You Give, um, Hunger by Roxane Gay, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. Um, we've got The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, When Dimple Met Rishi, um, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Sherman Alexie, My Favorite Thing is Monsters. Like, these books are amazing. Like, I'm looking at this list going, oh my gosh, I wish contributors and editors were like we had our own giveaway for these books because um I I've read maybe not quite half of the books on the list but I've read a fair number of them and the rest of them I have on my list that I really want to read so this is a seriously awesome collection of books so if you are interested in entering uh this giveaway it ends January 14th of 2018 
Um, so you do have a little bit of time to uh, to uh, enter the giveaway. Um, and you can go to bookriot.com slash bookriottop20. That's a number two zero to enter. And uh, so thank you to Book Riot for sponsoring the show and for giving away such an amazing stack of books. Yeah, I was looking at the list, like thinking the exact same thing of like, man, why can't we enter? Um, if for some reason you think that you don't want to enter, which I don't understand why you wouldn't want to enter this. Maybe you're like, hey, I don't I'm not planning on reading all of those books or some of those books don't interest me. Um, this would be a fun one to enter and then to like give away some of these books because these are all pretty beloved across the book world not just amongst book writers but also it might be a good chance to read some things that like if you are interested in trying a new genre maybe you only read mysteries and you want to try some literary fiction or you want to try some fantasy uh, this would be a good way to kind of like dip your toes into that because you can get a book that you know is recommended by a significant number of people so yeah that's another reason if you're like hey I've already read the mysteries that are on this list you should still enter and try some of the other books because they're basically all fantastic. Yeah, really solid list. All right. Um, so to wrap things up, we can quickly run through the things that we are currently reading. Uh, we won't be doing new releases this week because one, we just gave you a giant list of books to <laughs> check out if you haven't checked those out already, but also because there aren't really that many new releases coming out in terms of mysteries and whatnot, or in general uh, at the end of the year. So we figured that we have given you enough books to uh, check out. Um so in terms of what we're currently reading, um, I'm really close to finishing The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra by Vasim Khan, which I had mentioned in the last uh, episode as I was planning on starting soon. Um, I'm really enjoying this mystery series. It's really surprising. It's not quite what I thought it was going to be because in this story, um, Inspector Chopra has actually just retired from being an inspector in Mumbai. And so it's about him investigating a case while now no longer being a detective so he's kind of doing it like off duty behind the scenes um sort of thing so it's been really interesting for a number of reasons partially because it happens in mumbai so there's a lot of discussion and explanation about the police system and the corruption that's happening in that city and also just like what the city is like in general um i think that if you have like no knowledge of Mumbai or anything that's happening in that city. I think that the book gives you enough background and information on it that you can sort of figure it all out. But I think that also if you are aware of it, it doesn't like over explain it that you get really bored. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, the way that the baby elephant comes into play in the story again was also really surprising. Not at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, but yeah, it's really delightful. I'm almost done with it. I'm at like the 70-ish percent mark of the book. So I'll probably finish it within the next day. Um, other than that, I have no idea what I'm going to read next. I'm sort of at the point in the year where I am i don't want to start anything new. Uh, I feel like because we're doing like all these best of lists and like on my own YouTube channel, I do sort of like my favorite books of 2017. After I do that, I no longer want to read new books because I'm always scared that I'm going to read a book that I would have wanted to put on my favorites list. So I basically got into like, what am I going to reread? Like for the last like week and a half, I usually end up rereading a couple of things and I don't know what I'm going to reread. I got 
a copy of the Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter on audiobook. Um, so I was thinking about listening to that. But other than that, I have no idea what I'm going to read next. And I'm kind of already at the point where I'm thinking mentally about what I'm going to start on January 1st. So that'll fulfill like my January 1st challenges and things like that. Um, but yeah, I haven't really planned that far ahead outside of like reading Harry Potter next, which doesn't it's kind of a mystery. I mean, if you hadn't read it before, there's a mystery element to it. So <laughs> it's a great plot twist. Yeah, you like, honestly, it, it, it technically could work. But yeah. <laughs> other than that, I don't have any specific plans yet in terms of my mysteries, but I have a whole bunch of them here. So I'm sure I will pick up something between now and when we record the next episode. <laughs> Yeah, I I hear you. I'm I'm already starting to plan ahead. I'm like, what am I going to start on January first? Like, like the last few years, it's like I wake up on January first, and you know, I like get a bowl of cereal, and then I grab a book and crawl back into bed and start reading. And, yeah. Oh. I love that tradition. But anyway, um, I am also uh, almost finished with the book that I was talking about last episode, um, Soul Cage by Tetsuo Honda. That was where we were talking about you had the baby elephant mystery. I had the severed hand mystery. Um, My severed hand was not entirely surprising. I mean, it's a severed hand and then they figured out who it went to. And then now they're trying to figure out who killed the guy. Um, But it's a um, it's a really interesting uh, mystery. It's it's definitely I definitely I could consider it a police procedural and the main the main character is a um is a young woman like i think she's oh she's got to be i think she's in her late 20s like i think she might be my age actually which is kind of weird because she just seems to have her life together so much more than i do um but she um she's heading up one of the teams that is investigating the death of this man and there might be ties to um a Japanese organized crime syndicate, um, and there may be connections to other deaths over the last several years that occurred under, you know, very similar circumstances. So they're figuring that out. Um, but I think the most interesting part is how the main character has to navigate the relationships, the working relationships in within the department and within the different squads. Um, and especially because she is a woman, she has to, she feels like she, she's, well, she's young and she's a woman. And so she really feels like she has to prove herself against, you know, to her male colleagues. And there's a there's a big um, cultural uh, element here in terms of how the characters interact with each other. Like there's the one guy who she's paired up with who j- is just flat out sexually harassing her like every time he opens his mouth. And it's, you know, but it's such a different culture that they don't that the way those matters are handled is not the same way that they're handled in America. Like I'm reading this going like, Oh my gosh, if this guy were talking to me that way, I would have him out on his butt so fast his head would spin. But you know, that's culturally, that's not how, like I said, how they handle those interactions. So it's a very interesting read in that sense. Um, I'm trying not to get too hung up on the sexually harassing guy because that's not the point of the story. But um, so far, it's very interesting. Again, yeah, I'll probably finish that in the next couple of days. Um, And again, that's called Soul Cage by Tetsuo Honda. And then on, I just started uh, listening to Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer, which probably if you had it's probably would not be considered, you know, straight up true crime because it's it's not just about a murder um, that occurred of a woman and her infant, um, but it's an examination of uh, 
the Mormons and the Church of Latter-day Saints and fundamentalist Mormons in the United States. Um, so it has that sociological element that we kind of talked about with American Fire. Um, and I'm only I'm only a couple of discs uh, into the audiobook, but it's it's fascinating. Um, I've I've uh, read or listened to John Krakauer's uh, one of his other books uh, last year. I listened to Missoula, um, and I really enjoy his writing style. It's you know it's journalistic, but it's not dry. Um, there's just, he, he does so much research, but he puts together this compelling story, um, about, you know, what, about the, the, you know, the religion and the culture that the, that, uh, these, that these people live in and how it fosters some of these, um, or how certain sects of, uh, Mormonism can foster some of this fundamental thinking and it's really really interesting um i uh i actually i started listening to it a while ago and then i put it down because i got gabrielle union's book on audio and so i just had to listen to that right away um so i'm picking it up again and yeah it's just really fascinating so um i'm hoping to finish that before the end of the year um and then yeah i've got i mean yeah, I've got so many other books that I want to read. And now that we're getting to the end of the year, now I actually, like, I do want to read so many of these other books that I haven't gotten to that everyone is raving about. Like, I have, I own, but I haven't read Hunger yet. I haven't read um, Sing Unburied Sing. I haven't read uh, Little Fires Everywhere yet. So I'm I'm looking at some non-mystery uh, novels and seeing if I can cram those into the last, you know, week and a half or so before the, before the year ends. So, um, I'm, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what'll come, will come after that, but, um, I know it'll be good. I know that much. <laughs> yeah. I was having sort of like the panic of, I need to read all of those books like in November. Like I was like, oh crap, it's almost the end of the year. I need to get these in now. <laughs> well, I still can't. <laughs> we can still read because, them Because you know, year. like, yeah, I know. Well, I, I, that's what I always say. I always think like I need to get these in now before the end of the year. We have, but then I'm always like, well, I could always read them next year if I don't get around to it this year. But anyways. <laughs> All right. So that's our show. Thanks so much again to everyone for listening. And I also just wanted to say thank you, you know, in general for checking us out this year. You know, it's been our first year of doing this podcast. And I'm sure Katie will agree when I say that it's been so much fun doing this and we look forward to uh, doing this a whole lot more next year. Again, if you have any suggestions for future episodes you would like for us to do if you have any like themes or topics you would like us to talk about we are always happy to hear those um, we definitely take those into account when we are trying to figure out what episodes we want to do in the future so if you want to get a hold of us you can always email us at red or dead at podcast at bookriot.com let me say that again red or dead at bookriot.com and those get sent straight to us if you have suggestions or comments or anything along those lines um if you would like to uh, check out all of the books that we have talked about, you can uh, head over to bookriot.com slash listen for our show notes. Um, so we always link all of the different books that we talk about throughout the episode there. So anything that you think sounded interesting or if like there's a title that you know we talked about and you may or like, what was that book? Um, you can head over to that post to check out um 
the links to everything. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. So that way other people can find us and discover our podcast and hopefully join us in this fun discussion of mysteries and thrillers that we do. Um, if you want to follow us online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I am at KT underscore library lady. And that's everything that we have. So happy holidays to everyone. And we will talk to you guys in the new year. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.